Welcome to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Audio Blog, where we strive to share an authentic interpretation of Mason's life work. We thank you for joining us and hope you enjoy the program. Godly Sorrow, Worldly Sorrow, and Joy by Art Middlecoff. Recorded live at the 16th Annual Living Education Retreat. I have a friend, and he's a nurse. He used to work in an emergency room. He told me this story from his own personal experience. There was a mother of seven, mostly younger children. She was a homeschool mom. She was not part of a co-op. She had no real support network. Her closest relative was in Canada, so she was going it alone. Her husband had to travel a lot for work. One day, he had to leave on a particularly long business trip. This time, he was going to be gone for a couple of weeks. So there she was, alone with her seven children, 24 hours per day. She had mouths to feed. She had minds to feed. And she had hearts to feed. At first, she was okay. But then as the days dragged on, the demands on her body and her soul began to exceed her internal supply. Things began to grow blurry, as all she could see were the needs of the children around her. She began to forget to eat. She became hypoglycemic. And then she began to forget to drink. She became dehydrated. And then she began to forget who she was. It was winter. One morning, at first light, somehow, she began to wander the streets of her rather nice neighborhood, accompanied by her barefooted and pajama-dressed two- and four-year-old girls. She began knocking on doors one by one, asking where her own house was. Excuse me, could you please tell me where I live? One neighbor finally called emergency medical services, and an ambulance came to take the mother and her two kids to the emergency room. The other five children woke up at home only to realize that their mother and their little sisters were gone. Thankfully, as they had been trained to do, they went to a trusted neighbor's house. The mother came into the ER very confused. She was rehydrated with IV fluids and given food to eat. After a few hours, she came to herself and started to remember that she had somehow been forgetting to eat and even to drink. Her husband cut his business trip short and flew straight home. And then my friend said this, sadly, many staff in the ER who were not from homeschooled families criticized this mom. They said she was not qualified to teach her kids. 
They said she was not educated enough to even take care of her own needs, let alone the needs of her family and of her kids' education. But, said my friend, as she became more aware, we learned she actually had a master's degree in literature. So they found out she was qualified to homeschool. She had a master's degree. But they didn't realize that this mother was lacking something that matters even more than a master's degree. She was lacking joy. In the first century, the Apostle Paul wrote a particularly sharp letter of rebuke to the church at Corinth. There were a couple of ways that the Corinthians could have taken it. They could have pridefully dismissed it, saying that what Paul wrote didn't apply to them. Or they could have received it as a to-do list and started to dispassionately put into practice what the letter said to do. But that's not how they received the letter. Perhaps even to Paul's surprise, they received the letter with sorrow. Paul wrote in reply, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. And then he wrote this, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. What is the opposite of joy if not sorrow? How are we to be sustained by joy if even the letters of St. Paul cause us sorrow? I think this verse is the key. I'm going to start with worldly sorrow because I am convinced that it is this that most robs us of joy. I'm going to define worldly sorrow this way. You want something to change. God says no. You sorrow until you let it go. I'm going to give you a few examples of what I believe is worldly sorrow in the Charlotte Mason community. I once went to speak at a Charlotte Mason conference. One of the attendees offered to drive me to the airport at the conclusion of the event. On the way, she basically apologized for coming to a Charlotte Mason event. She explained that she's a single mom and that she had to send her, her kids to school. But she sees the beauty of a Charlotte Mason lifestyle and, and wants to have as much of it as she can in her life. And so with fear and trepidation, she asked me, can I do this? Can I be a single mom and still do Charlotte Mason in the few hours that I have with my children? You see, somehow, somewhere, she got the message that if you're not doing it all, you're not doing it at all. 
She got the message that the beauty and the wonder of a Charlotte Mason life was for the other moms. It's for the moms who don't have to work full time. I want to do Charlotte Mason, but I have a job. God, please free me from my job so I can do it right. I went to another CM conference, and there was an anonymous question and answer time. The moderator read one of the questions. It started out great. The anonymous mother had read that Charlotte Mason said that nature study must be a year-round activity. So far, so good. She understood that the authentic Charlotte Mason educator must never take a break despite the weather, even if it is cold. Very good, I thought. She knows her stuff. The question continued, but I have a medical condition that makes me lose circulation in my toes. Even when the temperature is 50 degrees, what suggestions can you give me in order to give my children a true Charlotte Mason education? She got the message that the beauty and the wonder of a Charlotte Mason life was for the other moms. It's for the moms with the healthy feet. It wasn't for her. It's worldly sorrow. In the 14th century, Catherine of Siena wrote that the devil can't trick God's servants with what is obviously evil. So he tries to trick them with discouragement under the pretext of virtue. To the person who is sick, the devil says, you could be doing a lot of good if only you were healthy. I want to do Charlotte Mason, but I'm not healthy enough. God, please, Make me healthy so I can do it right? The devil, said St. Catherine, gains more ground with God's servants by means of discouragement than in any other way. I had several conversations and emails with another homeschool mom. She always had many interesting questions about Charlotte Mason, which I always did my best to answer. But she kept coming back to one, the one thing that troubled her more than anything else. See, she tried so hard to create a perfect Charlotte Mason atmosphere for her children, but her husband loved video games. Whenever he was home, he would invite her sons to play video games with him. It seemed her husband was undoing every good thing she was trying to do. She was exasperated and she wouldn't let it go. She got the message that the beauty and the wonder of a Charlotte Mason life was for the other moms. It's for the moms who don't have husbands who play video games. I want to do Charlotte Mason, but I have this husband. God, please change my husband's heart so I can do it right. It's worldly sorrow and worldly sorrow leads to death. I know because I've been there myself. 
Just like the husband of the woman who went to the emergency room, I had to travel a lot for business. A lot, a lot. A hundred thousand miles a year. And I was trying to give my children a Charlotte Mason education. It was an uphill battle. I broke the rules. I didn't do morning lessons. I didn't do term breaks at the proper time. I didn't do summer the right way. Who knows how many people stopped following my blog because I didn't follow the right schedule, because I wasn't Charlotte Mason enough. But I'll tell you when I hit rock bottom. It was at the Circe National Conference. There were some good speakers there, but there was one of them who was truly exceptional. This man was one of the best speakers I have ever heard. He was captivating. His message was logical. It was convincing. It was relentless. Time stopped as I was listening to him. It was as if there was no one else in the room, just him speaking directly to me. He was talking about natural law. He said that there are just certain ways that the world works. And he said that there is nothing you can do to change these natural laws. He gave many examples, and I nodded after each one. You're right, I said. You're right. And then he got to this natural law. The dad who travels loses his kids. My heart stopped. I sank down in my seat. Suddenly the room was full of people again, and I felt as if every single one of those people in the room had suddenly turned around and looked directly at me. Art, they all seemed to say in union, you're going to fail. It's natural law. You're the traveling dad whose wife ends up in the emergency room. Now, I'll, I'll enter a race, even if I know I'll come in last place. But who wants to start a race when you know you can't even reach the finish line? I'm going to lose the race. I'm going to lose my kids. I got the message that the beauty and wonder of a Charlotte Mason life was for the other dads. It's for the dads who don't travel. It wasn't for me. God, please change my job so I can do it right. It's worldly sorrow. Joy cannot coexist with worldly sorrow. St. Catherine wrote, you want to choose circumstances and paths in your own way rather than as God allows them. The devil would like nothing better to lead us into discouragement 
and dejection which dry up the soul. This discouragement and spiritual dejection put down the weapon the Holy Spirit has given us. I mean the weapon of our will conformed with God's. There is only one answer to worldly sorrow, and it is to accept God's answer when he says no. It's to use the weapon the Holy Spirit has given you, which is to conform your will to God's. I want you to take out a piece of paper right now. I want you to think of the biggest thing that is keeping you from the perfect Charlotte Mason education. The biggest thing that you want God to change, but for some reason, he just won't do it. Is it your job? Is it your health? Is it your finances? Is it where you live? Is it an unsupportive spouse? Is it unsupportive parents? Now I want you to write it down. And I want you to let it go. Let go of your worldly sorrow and say to God, thy will be done. I traveled so much that I got elite status with all the airlines and hotels. I went to one hotel in particular so often that they would usually give me the biggest suite in the building. It was a suite that was big enough for a family of four to live in. But night after night, the only person sitting in it was me. Evening was rising as I sat in the dark in the empty living room, which got darker and darker by the moment. I wanted more than anything in the world to be at home with my daughter. I wanted to be teaching her geometry. She was falling behind. It wasn't working. The homeschool thing wasn't working. I was desperate. But I just sat there doing nothing while my child was slipping away, just like natural law said she would. Then my wife, Barbara, called. I told her how much I wanted to be home doing geometry with Ainsley. And then Barbara said, do it now. Do it over Zoom. Now, this was pre-COVID. Nobody was teaching over Zoom. I said to Barbara flat out, no, I can't do that. Yes, you can, she said. Thanks be to God, I love that woman. But I said, no, I can't do it. I'm not prepared. I don't have time to prepare. I don't travel with a geometry book. It's too overwhelming. I'm too tired and too busy when I'm on the road. 
Charlotte Mason, people aren't allowed to use screens. <laughs> Zoom will never work. Just let me sit in this dark room and feel terrible. Our call ended, but not without Barbara saying this, with love and gentleness. You know, Art, you really can do this. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. I'm going to define godly sorrow this way. God wants you to do something. You say no. You sorrow until you repent. How do you know when God wants you to do something? Charlotte Mason said, the process followed by the Holy Spirit is to teach us by an arresting illumination from time to time of some phrase written in the Bible. So one way is through what you read in the Bible. Another way is what you read in books by the saints of God. And I include Charlotte Mason in that number. Another way is what you hear from the saints who walk the earth today. And in my case, that saint was my wife. God was speaking through Barbara, and I said no. I sorrowed, and I sorrowed, and I kept saying, I can't until I realized I can't. I learned how to do lessons over Zoom. I Zoomed with my daughter from Illinois, from California, from England, from Australia. I Zoomed with her from the office, from Starbucks, from the hotel, from the basement of a Charlotte Mason retreat during someone else's plenary. <laughs> I learned where I like to Zoom and where I don't like to Zoom. My preference was Starbucks. Although Ainsley didn't so much like the background music that came in through the microphone. Was it the perfect Charlotte Mason education? No. But I will say this. Ainsley learned more than just geometry. Ainsley learned that she matters to me. She learned that I will move heaven and earth to find a way to invest in her. I was talking to a friend of mine in Australia, and he was inspired by a lot of what I said, and he wanted to spend more time with his kids. 
But he explained to me that his life was in such turmoil. They were moving. They had so much going on. He said that he would start spending time with his children just as soon as his life settles down. I told him not to wait, but to start right now. I told him that his children will know his love for them precisely because he sacrifices for them in the rough and tumble of difficult life. It's what I said to the single mom who drove me to the airport. I said, the few hours of Charlotte Mason beauty you can afford in your home will shine all the more brighter because you have to work so hard to make it happen. I tell the bedridden mother that her Charlotte Mason education is especially precious because her children will see that she loves them enough to teach them even from her bed. I tell the mother whose husband plays video games with her sons that her Charlotte Mason education is all the more valuable because of her faithfulness. Amber Johnston, in her book, A Place to Belong, says it this way. There are times when we as parents are called to show with actions a type of love that words cannot express. Can you discern godly sorrow in your life? What is God asking you to change in your lifestyle? Godly sorrow must lead through repentance to joy. A woman graduated from the House of Education, and instead of becoming a governess, she became a mom. She was asked to write for the Parents Review in 1926 about being a mom without a governess. Here's what she said. And first, may I quote what I read many years ago now. Don't grudge the time you have to give to your children. The days so fully occupied with multifarious duties pass all too quickly. And babyhood gives way to childhood, childhood to school days, and all too soon you find your babies, men and women. What multifarious duties are filling your days? Has God really called you to all of these? Has he really called you to that church ministry, that board position, that part-time job, that social media post, that hobby, that television show, that political cause? This graduate, this mother without a governess, described her lifestyle this way. One drawback is that one must be content to sacrifice practically all social life and all outside work. And the other is that there is little or no time for self-development and further study. But to my mind, the close intimacy one has with one's children far more than outweighs these two disadvantages. So I want you to take out that piece of paper again. 
Is God speaking to you? Is there something he wants to change, but you've been saying no? Is it your screen habits? Is it your priorities? Is it some activity which is good in and of itself, but not as good as time with your children? Is it time to say no to that activity? Do you need to take better care of yourself, your own health, diet, and exercise? Has God been leading you to start observing a weekly Sabbath? Have you been feeling a nudge to reach out for help from a relative, a tutor, a co-op, or a school, but you've been resisting it? Maybe that mom who ended up in the ER had had some prompting beforehand, some gentle whisper urging her to reach out for help but maybe she didn't listen. Is God calling you to sell your house and buy a camper and spend the next two years road schooling with your family? Or could it be that God is telling you to do something so completely different that none of your CM friends will ever understand, like teaching your kids using Zoom? Something that's crazy for everyone else but it's just the right thing for you. Now I want you to write it down, and I want you to say yes. I want you to let go of your godly sorrow and say to God, thy will be done. Something special happens when God says yes, and when you say yes too. I call that special something joy. I traveled 100,000 miles per year, and yet my daughter gave me this mug for my birthday. It says, I have a hero, I call him my dad. I'm not showing you this to try to tell you I'm a great dad or to pat myself on the back, but to say this. At the Circe conference, I was told that natural law said that this could not happen. But I'm here to tell you that when God says yes to you and when you say yes to God, there is no law of man that can get in your way. Now, does this mean that everything was perfect? Did we just ride off into the sunset of homeschool glory? No, we didn't. And here's the really troubling thing. Even though I felt like I was saying yes to everything God was telling me, I still felt like I was falling short. Does anyone else feel this? Raise your hand if you feel like even though you're doing everything you think you should and everything you think you can, you still feel like you're not doing enough. Does anybody feel that way ever? Boy, did I feel that. And as Ainsley got closer to high school graduation, I started to feel it more and more. Whenever I get that feeling of doing everything you can and still coming up short, I think of this story by Hans Christian Andersen called The Wild Swans. In the story, Elise is a princess with 11 brothers who are princes. Their evil stepmother turns the princes into swans by day and banishes Elise from her home. Elise wants more than anything in the world to free her brothers from the curse. I identify all homeschool parents with Elise. Just as Elise loved her brothers and would do anything to meet their needs, 
Homeschool parents love their children and will do anything to teach them and help them grow. Elise observed the numberless little stones on the shore, all of which the waves had washed into a round form. Glass, iron, stone, everything that lay scattered there had been molded into shape. And yet the water which had affected this was much softer than Elise's delicate little hand. It rolls on unweariedly, said she, and subdues what is so hard. I will be no less unwearied. Thank you for the lesson you have given me, ye bright rolling waves. Someday my heart tells me, you shall carry me to my dear brothers. And so the homeschool parent says, I will be no less unwearied. I will love with a love as gentle as the water, more gentle than Eliza's little hand. Then Eliza learns how to free her brothers from the curse. She must make a special coat for each brother made from a special cloth. Interestingly, Charlotte Mason at one point uses the analogy of making a coat from cloth to describe education. Charlotte Mason says, now we have received our cloth, and not in ungenerous measure. How shall we cut our coat? That is, how shall we spend those hours a week in which education is to do her part for the young citizen? Eliza's guide gives her this warning. Thou canst release thy brothers, said she, but hast thou courage and patience sufficient? The water is indeed softer than thy delicate hands and yet can mold the hard stones to its will, but that it cannot feel the pain which thy tender fingers will feel. It has no heart and cannot suffer the anxiety and grief which thou must suffer. Thou canst educate thy children, but dost thou have courage and patience sufficient? You will feel worldly sorrow and you will feel godly sorrow can you let go of that worldly sorrow? And will your godly sorrow lead you to repentance? And can you persevere? Ainsley's high school graduation seemed closer every day. The pandemic came and the planes were grounded. I was teaching at home, but I was still running out of time. Then my back started hurting again. For weeks during the lockdown, it, it hurt to stand, it hurt to walk. But I thought to myself, I don't have to stand to teach my daughter. So there I was, lying on my back on the dining room floor, reviewing my daughter's chemistry equations. And she sat there at the table, listening patiently. Why? Because she knew that she matters to me. The people saw Eliza working day and night on her coats, 
They didn't understand it. They didn't like it. It's the same way the world views us homeschoolers. Why do we take our kids out of the schools? We must be subversive. Why do we spend so much time with our kids? Why don't we do more work for the community and society? Why do we work so hard on this? Why don't we just enjoy life? And as the crowds began to increase their hatred, let the people judge her, said the king, and the people condemned her to be burnt. But her coats were not finished. She kept working, and so do we. When friends, parents, emergency room staff, and tweets condemn our work, we don't give up. Even as the tumbrel bears Elise away to execution, she continues knitting, determined to keep it up to the last moment of her life. It was a race to the finish line. Ainsley's graduation day came, and I was not finished. Elisa reached the point of her execution, and she wasn't done. She still had not finished her last coat. I reached the finish line, only to find out that I hadn't finished the race after all. Let me tell you what I mean. Ainsley's dream was and still is to be a farmer. My dream was to set before her the full banquet, an abundant feast, and part of the banquet for all children is gardening. It's in the historical PNEU programs, and it's in the modern Charlotte Mason curricula, and I knew I was supposed to do it. I even bought the recommended book on gardening, and there it sat on the shelf. I ordered a book for our homeschool, and I never even opened it a single time. The years passed, and I never taught her how to garden. My daughter wanted to be a farming, and in all of our years of homeschooling, I never showed her how to grow a single living thing. I fell short. She went off to college, and of course, she was an agricultural business major. During her freshman year, all her friends started getting internships for the summer. She couldn't get one. She interviewed, but no one would hire her. She asked me for help. I reviewed her resume, and I coached her, but still no takers. Then I said, Ainsley, you want to farm. Why not find an, an organic farm and intern there? And she said, Dad, how would I find that? And so we searched together, and we came up with White Violet Farm. And they accepted her as an intern. That summer after her freshman year, she did all kinds of things at White Violet Farm. We talked on the phone every single day. Often, she would sit in one particular apple tree when she talked to me. Finally, at the end of the summer, I went to the farm myself to see it for the first time and to drive home with her. On the evening before her last day at work, I arrived. She showed me the horses. She showed me the chickens. She showed me how she grew vegetables. She even showed me the apple tree where she would sit when we would talk on the phone. 
And then she said something that I will never forget. Dad, do you want to see the garden? The garden? I asked. Then she showed me row after row of beautiful flowers and other living things. I was in a daze. I could barely hear as she walked me through the garden explaining which flowers were there, how they planted and tended the flowers, and all the work she did. I barely knew what was happening because only one thing was going through my mind. I could have spent 20 years on homeschool gardening and never taught her even close to what she learned in a single summer at White Violet Farm. At what could have been the last moment of Eliza's life, the wild swans landed on the cart with her. She threw the 11 coats on the 11 swans, including the coat that she had not been able to finish. All 11 became princes. The 11th, who got the incomplete coat, became a prince, a prince with wings. The lesson for us is clear. God gives us the privilege and the honor of making coats for our children, but he wants to be the one to give them their wings. Thank you. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the program.